Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune, and I will be your host today on Game Changers, and I want to get right into our show by welcoming our guest, Joshua Laddick. Joshua is the president of GSA Focus. Joshua, welcome to the show, and please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what your company does. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. You having me on. A little bit about me. I've been working with GSA Contracts for a little over a decade now. Uh, first got into it working inside of a company, got them a GSA contract, and I saw the need for uh, small businesses uh, to actually have a, a service provider that was uh, both affordable, high quality, and high quality. So I uh, branched out, and uh, the rest is history. Uh, I'm the president of GSA Focus. Uh, I've been doing this for a good long time, and uh, all I do, just like uh, the name of my company implies, all I do is uh, handle GSA contracts, and that includes getting them for companies, maintaining them, and uh, just assuring compliance as well. Uh, so that's about it in a nutshell. Cool. Well, I I really am I'm glad that we got you on here. You're the first uh, GSA person I was able to to get on here, and and, and I you were the one I wanted because I've been following you for a long time on LinkedIn. Uh, you're very active on there. You share some really good stuff on LinkedIn. So for all our listeners, follow Joshua on LinkedIn. Uh, he shares some really cool stuff on there. Uh, you've got some great content on your website and it not only do you guys focus on the GSA process, but it seems like you make it really, really simple. And so that's why I wanted to come on today for our topic and really talk GSA contracts for our listeners. Um, you know, I, I think a GSA schedule is one of those things where most people, when you get into government contracts, you think this is the holy grail. So I think this is an important topic for folks. And I want to break up our conversation kind of into three parts today. We're talking about pre-screening. So do you qualify? Does it make sense for you? You know, the GSA contract process itself and what to expect. 
And then finally, kind of post-award, how to get sales. Because it's not just enough to have a GSA contract. You actually want to get money flowing through this thing. So I want to start off by talking about the qualifying aspect of it. So how can I find out if my company even qualifies to get a GSA schedule? Pretty pretty basic to, to qualify a company. Uh, first off, two years in business. That's kind of the, the go-to first question. How long has your company been around? And uh, just a side note there, Schedule 70 for IT products and services uh, recently kind of created a side door in. So startups are no longer uh, kind of disqualified because they're a startup, they're brand new. Uh, and this is, you know, going to let a lot more innovation into the, the GSA program. Uh, but outside of Schedule 70 and every other GSA schedule or category, uh, the two-year rule is, uh, you know, alive and strong. You need to have those two years. Oh, the, the second one is, you know, a little bit more complex, and uh, it really kind of uh, hits on, on two areas. The first is fitting into a GSA schedule, which a GSA schedule is, is really, I try to be good about explaining my GSA lingo. A schedule is one of the categories that uh, is pretty much industry-specific. Uh, so there is there are uh, roughly 40 schedules uh, between the GSA and the VA programs, and um they pretty much every company out there is probably going to fit into one. Some of them will probably fit into two or more. Uh, so that's not a hard one to do. Uh, but the the next part of it is uh, having the past performance experience that fits into the scope of the the schedule. So, the, for example, Schedule Seventy is IT products and services. Let's say you sell IT products uh, within the the IT Schedule Seventy. There will be a subcategory for that. This particular one is one thirty two dash eight. And there's, a, there's an actual description in there. And what you've done in the past has to really line up with uh, at least a part of that description, or else there's really no place uh, for, for your company to go after that. Uh, the GSA doesn't want to play guinea pigs, so they make sure that you've, you've done the, you perform the services or fulfilled the products uh, that you're going after on, on their GSA program. Other than that, it's a lot of the stuff that, that you'd expect. You can't defraud the government or have anything bad like that sitting on your, uh, you know, uh, on your in, in the database there. But, um, yeah, like, the rest of them are, are pretty straightforward. Like bankruptcies and things like that. I mean, if, you're, if you, you have been in bankruptcy or your company, I, I, doesn't that exclude or no? Not really. Um, a lot of them, stuff like bankruptcies uh, and stuff like that, it, it, it may come up along the way. Um, but, uh, it can oftentimes be explained away. Okay. As long as, as long as, you know, if, if you're in a, in good standing, uh, the GSA is pretty forgiving and understanding of, of, you know, normal business happenings. And uh, as long as you have a good explanation, uh, we can kind of put that, put matters like that to bed. Excellent. Well, you know, I think a lot of people here, well, you know, I had a bankruptcy when I was, you know, fresh out of college or whatever it was. And so now I'm never going to be able to get this or whatever. So it's good to hear that there's ways to explain those kind of things. You, you, you brought up two points there that I want to go back to for a second. One um, was really talking about past performance. I think a lot of people get into government contracting and they think I can't get a government contract without a GSA schedule. And I would say that's number one, that's false, but it, it's great if you have past performance selling to the government when you go to your GSA schedule. I mean, is, is that right? I mean, it, it's great to have commercial past performance, but wouldn't government past performance actually help when you get into pricing and negotiations and things like that, right? 
Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot. I, I'll be asked, you know, well, I've never done any business with the government. Can I still get a GSA contract? And of course, the question is yes. The past performance that's used can be commercial, uh, could be anything really that just displays that you've performed uh, those services and, you know, X dollars were, were handed over in, in exchange. So um, there's that. Now, like you were just saying, Michael, uh, having federal past performance uh, is a, a really good thing in the process, uh, it, but it's in more of an intangible way. Uh, it pretty much means that if you've gone through a federal contract, even just one of them, uh, you you understand you've learned a lot in that process, and your understanding's uh, you know a little bit more than uh, somebody that comes in green. So. Uh, that's a really big thing. And then there's also another intangible aspect to where if you're offering up past performance documents to the GSA and they see that you've worked with, you know, the Department of the Interior or Transportation or, or some, some federal agency, uh, that comes with it, just the understanding. They understand that you're already kind of playing the game and you're in the market. doesn't mean that if you don't have that, you're going to have any extra obstacles or anything like that. Uh, but it's just something that sits in the back of the contracting officer's mind at the GSA as they review your documents. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really important for people to hear that and understand, you know, just because you don't have a GSA schedule doesn't mean you can't get contracts and the value of that past performance moving forward. Like you said, the, the intangible aspect of it, that's a big deal for people. Um, and I, I want to go back to one other point that you mentioned there as well. That, that two-year rule on being in business, I personally think when people hear that, they think, oh, well, you know, we just started the company. Uh, let me just put this on a shelf and come back to it in two years, and in two years I'll start the process. What would your recommendation be for, I just started today, when should I start the paperwork for my GSA schedule? It's always a good idea to give yourself a lot of time to gather the necessary documents. I say six months before your two-year two anniversary is a good idea uh, to start engaging. Uh, that'll give you ample time to pull everything together and uh, just be ready to submit uh, the day of. And another thing that is probably a good, uh, good thing to talk about here is that the two-year anniversary is, is from really the, the generation of your company, not the corporation of your company or incorporation. A lot of companies I talk to, they say, oh, I just, you know, I just incorporated, you know, in February. And that means that, you know, I've only got a year of experience. And I'll ask them, well, were you a contractor or sole proprietor before that? Oh, yeah, for 10 years. Uh, well, then you've been in business for 10 years. Uh, it, it doesn't go off of anything other than that you can basically provide uh, financials showing that you've been in business, in operations. Yeah. So tax records, profit and loss statements, you know, all those kind of things. I, that's a really big point because I do think a lot of people start off as, you know, that sole proprietor or depending on what state you're in, the unincorporated uh, is how it would show up. You're unincorporated. And then they decide, oh, you know, I guess, you know, we're we're pushing that half a million dollar mark. It's time to go get an LLC or an S Corp or whatever it is they do. So I think that's a really good point. You may have actually have 10 years under your belt and not realize it. Uh, so if you're listening to this, uh, that's a really good point that, that Joshua just brought up. Um, you know, it, it's based on how long you've really been in business, not when you filed those papers with your state. So big difference there. And, and I like how you pointed out, you know, start with six months before 
that two years, you know, if you are a fresh company, because again, I, I've talked to people that said, well, I'm waiting uh, for the two year anniversary and then I'll start the paperwork assuming that, you know, it takes 24 hours to get your packet in. Right. <laughs> right. Which, you know, that is you and I could laugh about that understanding what's on the back end, but I think companies think it takes, well, you know, what is it going to take, you know, two, three, four days for me to do the packet and get it submitted? You know, it's not going to be a big deal. So having six months to gather information um, is a really big deal. So so let's let's kind of fast forward and say, you know, just because I do qualify, it doesn't mean I should pursue GSA, does it? I mean, should should everyone, in your opinion, pursue a GSA schedule regardless of whether they qualify or not? No, no. And a big part of what I do when I first talk to companies that are interested is kind of get a gauge on a couple things. Uh, first off is, like a, you know, the, of course, pre, pre-screening. There's no use for anybody to go to any trouble if uh, you're not, not yet qualified. Uh, but the second one is really just kind of get a gauge on uh, the, the commitment level. Uh, getting a GSA contract, like you said before, uh, you don't just uh, get your contract awarded and then everybody's knocking down your door. It does take having a, a marketing plan Having that plan based on a good deal of market research, uh, you have to know your buyers uh, and all that stuff. It takes time, takes a lot of effort and energy. Uh, and just in what I've noticed in you know my decade of doing this, my clients that really succeed in uh, you know selling off of their GSA contract uh, have a, a team in place that are uh, well educated on how to use it and how the government buys off of it. Uh, they're well educated on their industry and how the government uh, interacts with their industry. Uh, so without having that commitment level, uh, the bandwidth and, and whatnot, it's uh, it's probably going to be a burnt run. And I have had, you know, I've seen it uh, swing the other way too. I have companies that are extremely successful off their GSA contract and uh, they've doubled and tripled the size of their company. And then I've had other companies that get the GSA contract and they lose it uh, within two years because they don't meet the minimum sales requirement of $25,000, which isn't much. In most cases, that's one government contract. Uh, So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the the first thing. And um, I usually, within reason, will try to dig into a little bit of intel that I have access to, to try to figure out what the uh, GSA sales are like for, uh, you know, some some competitors, if, if somebody's able to, to offer up a, a handful of, of competitors that they know are on GSA, uh, I'll, I'll go in and, and pull up what their sales were, uh, look, take a look at that market. And uh, what I often will, times will tell them is, uh, you know, let's take your mar- the, mar- the size of your market, how, much, how many dollars have flowed through uh, your category in GSA, and uh, you know, pick a number of a starting out goal, whether it be two percent or ten percent, and just say that's the market share that I want within X years, within two years. I want to have ten percent of that market share, and uh, that way you have kind of a tangible number, a goal to go after. If it's a ten million dollar market, and you say uh, I want to have ten percent of that, that means you know you want to have a million dollars in GSA sales uh, within that time period. So. That's I try to try to bring things down into you know uh, simple dollars and cents on paper so that it's uh, not you know, I get a GSA contract and hope for the best. Yeah, no, I, I like that analogy because you know when you, when you look at that, let's say 
you know, Joshua goes and pulls, you know, market research for you and you find out it's only a million dollar market and it's very, very competitive, you, you know, it is and you still want 10 percent is a hundred thousand dollars worth getting into the game for your company. You know, it, it's a question you need to answer if you're listening to this. You know, that market research is super important. The you know, something else I've seen before is I've seen clients, uh, maybe you've seen this too, where they come to me and they say, I need a GSA schedule. I have to have it. And I said, you know, why is that? And they say, well, there's this one client at Fort Hood that that's the only way they buy our services. And I say, okay, well, let's number one, let's go verify that. So there, you know, there's systems we can go verify that. And two, it's like, so is this the client you're going to, you know, pin all your hopes and dreams on? And they say, no, this is just one contract. Okay, well, does it does it really make sense if the rest of your buyers don't use GSA? Let's find out. Do the rest of your buyers where you're going to focus on are going to use it? Or is this one client on a one-off contract? Like, let's actually talk through this and figure it out because um, there, there's a lot behind this. And so I, I love the idea of going and doing the market research, doing your homework, and making sure it's a good decision, not just saying, oh, well, you know, everybody needs a GSA schedule, so I should do it. So, so once we decide... Hey, we're going to do this. The The market's right. I can get a good percentage of this market share. Walk me through some of the process that you go through to actually get the schedule. Because I think this right here is kind of like the black hole of knowledge for a lot of people. Like a lot of people have zero clue on what the process actually is like to, to go and get the schedule. Yeah, yeah. This is a great, great topic to cover. And I'm going to have to really do uh, a lot of self-control practice here because this is what I do day in and day out. And I could talk about this for a good long time. So um, I'm going to keep it as, as short and to the point as I can. Uh, but in, in a nutshell, uh, the, the process of getting a GSA contract uh, uh, in large part is just document gathering uh, to the exact perfect specifications that the GSA wants those documents uh, to look like. Uh, Altogether, most of the time, an offer, which is kind of the, the GSA lingo for that document package, an offer, uh, an offer is about 30 or so documents, and uh, they are of varying complexity. Some of them are very simple. Uh, you print up a, a, a boilerplate and sign it, and that's it. Um, other documents in that offer are going to be uh, extremely complex, and you know, when I prepare them, I kind of have to use every corner of my brain sometimes. Uh, to prepare uh, these more complicated documents uh, properly, um, just because they have a, a lot of challenges and a lot of kind of, uh, it's kind of a minefield at times. Uh, have to avoid certain terms or certain uh, areas or concepts and kind of try to bring out others. Um, so uh, that's just a little, little I guess, peek into the, the document preparation process. Everything uh, is guided by what's called the solicitation document. And there's a full package uh, that everybody can, can go on and access uh, and download this solicitation package. Uh, buried in there is going to be a uh, more or less a, a checklist uh, with some descriptions on, on how to fill out these documents. Uh, it's very lacking in, in my experience. You know, I've, I'm looking through these day in and day out, and I haven't seen them updated really in... Uh, a very long time, and, uh, but at the same time, I've seen the requirements go up a lot. So there are a lot of documents that are borderline required nowadays that are, are, are not mentioned at all in this uh, solicitation package. Uh, but long story short, these documents are all prepared. 
they then need to be submitted to the GSA. And that all happens through a, a web portal nowadays called the eOffer system. Uh, and then in that, the documents are uploaded, uh, just like you up upload documents anywhere on a website. Uh, and then a good, good deal of uh, data entry is also in there as well. So uh, you, you plug in a lot of information uh, in that submission process. And that's more or less the second step there. After that, the, you hit go. Uh, you've officially submitted your GSA offer to the GSA. Then you just kind of have to practice your patience. Because at this point, this is the longest part of the process. This is when the GSA is going to kind of sit. You're going to be sitting in line. Then they're going to start reviewing your documents, uh, 30, 30 or so documents. There's a lot of information there. And they, they take a while to, up, to uh, review those documents. So uh, altogether, it's normally about three to six months of waiting for that review time. And uh, oftentimes, uh, quite a bit longer. Uh, so that, and that's all very normal part of the process. Uh, the GSA has actually taken to a, a kind of a very preliminary go-no-go no go or kind of pass-fail process, which is very helpful. Uh, there's nothing worse than waiting that three to six months to find out you've been rejected because of a, a very simple, simple thing. So uh, they have, GSA has these gatekeepers, is what I call them, that look through the document package just to make sure that all of the vitals are there. Uh, and if anything important is missing, you just will get a really quick rejection rather than waiting a long time. Uh, vast improvement than in the way they did things before that. If the documents are rejected, it's not the end of the world. You can resubmit uh, the next day. You, of course, want to take the notes to heart and make those changes that the GSA recommends. Uh, if the document's not rejected, then it gets kind of kicked on to the clarification stage. And this is kind of the point where the contracting officer or the person that's reviewing these documents is going to kind of collaborate with you to uh, answer, you know, you're basically on the hook to answer all their questions about your company, uh, any information that they want more details on, stuff like that. Uh, and the goal there is to get to the point where the GSA is satisfied with the document package. We get there. Next is the final stage, which is negotiations. Uh, everybody gets on a phone call. The GSA tries to get a better discount from you than what you've originally offered. Uh, you have, you know, the opportunity or the right to counter, uh, say no and whatnot. Uh, the GSA can, you know, reject at that time and say we just can't come to terms on what your prices are and they're not competitive enough for us. Uh, so something to be, you know, weary of, watch out for. Uh, but at the same time, uh, don't let the GSA just hammer you down or make you feel like you're not allowed to counter or ask questions because uh, they are pretty good at negotiating these days. After negotiations, you're usually about a week or two out from award. There's just some final kind of internal processing the GSA does. Then you're issued your GSA number. You're good to go. You can go do business under that number. Uh, but the, what I consider the most important part of the process is yet to come. That's all of the kind of post-award registration. And this is the stuff that grants you access to these marketplaces that the GSA has that are there to connect you the vendor or the seller to the buyers uh, and federal buyers post opportunities up there uh, in some marketplaces in other marketplaces they uh, can actually go to an amazon like place called uh, a website called gsa advantage and they can just pull out a government purchase card and, and buy right off of that um, so 
you don't want to go to all this effort to get your GSA contract and uh, and then lose steam and not get you know into these marketplaces immediately because this is where all these are where all the sales happen. No, that that's really good. In fact, I mean that's kind of my next question in here is you know so I have my GSA schedule now. What what are the best ways to actually you know get sales? And I think you've started here, so I, I don't know if you want to expand it all on some of these places they can go register or what happens. And and I assume you guys help navigate that and even maybe even do some of the registration for them I mean, is that is that some of the stuff you provide yeah my my services I, I, I try to be as comprehensive as possible early on I realized that these post-award registrations are uh, just about as complicated as the document preparation and I didn't want to subject my clients to to anything that uh, was going to be super difficult like that so I ended up uh, take kind of pulling those into my services early on and uh, I handle all of the registration to, to basically uh, up, you know, all the uploads, uh, registering, and ultimately unlocking uh, access to these marketplaces. Yeah, so, so now that I, I have the GSA schedule, all those you know, websites have been, you know, the information's filled out in there. Uh, I've unlocked them, as you say. What are some some strategies for actually using the GSA schedule to actually again close contracts, make money? Oh, there's there's a good number of them within the GSA program. Using these marketplaces is really the the big key. Uh, not the only one though, because I, I don't want to make it seem like uh, GSA marketplaces are the only place where business is done, especially even uh, GSA business, because a lot of uh, public publicly posted opportunities are still GSA. Uh, but I can, I'll can i speak to the, these marketplaces and explain them a little bit uh, and then go into some other stuff. But um, the first one I mentioned was GSA Advantage. And it's a, it's a lot like Amazon, uh, not as pretty, but uh, same, fu- same function, same purpose. Products are listed, really pretty robust search engine. Uh, it's easy to find a, a part number, you know, based on a part number, product name, Pretty, pretty easy to do some, some research there. A lot of buyers use this uh, system just to you know, purchase up to $2,500 right, you know, with, a, with a government purchase card. Uh, they don't even need to show any you know, competitive research there. They don't have to meet the, the three-bid requirement, if you will. So uh, that's a really big one. But you know, that's not to say that they don't you know, purchase $40,000, $100,000 products on there as well, because they do. Uh, the other one is called eBuy, and uh, this is basically a, an exclusive uh, bidding area for the GSA contract community. Uh, if you have a GSA contract uh, and you know all of your post award registration goes through, this is the last thing that gets unlocked. Uh, you're able to go into the system and view opportunities, and in fact, they're even emailed directly to uh, the point of contact. And I can be you could go in and tweak those settings, but uh, having those emails is is a pretty Pretty big bonus once you get your GSA contract. You start getting these opportunities uh, to you right in your inbox, uh, you know, almost daily. Uh, so eBuy is a really, really big one, and it's a it's a system where you could go on, download RFQs, request for quotes, uh, kind of take a look at them and see if it's uh, something that you want to go after or not. And if you do, you can prepare your proposal and upload it right into that system, and and then uh, you find out by the deadline or just around there. Uh, if you've won or not. Uh, so that's eBuy. Uh, 
similar to eBuy is the GSA's new reverse auction system, which is, I think, going on about three or four years old now. And uh, every year, it's been growing. It's uh, getting more and more popular. Government buyers, they really like reverse auctions. They used uh, FedBid for, they've been using FedBid for a good long time, and GSA made this system in order to compete with them. Uh, and that's just like it sounds. Uh, the buyer posts their, their need, their opportunity, uh, and all of the GSA contractors uh, can go in and, and view that and decide if they're going to go after or not, and the lowest bidder typically wins. You know, I, I think that's a very interesting one, and it, it requires quite a bit of strategy uh, to go in and, and you know, reverse auction uh, bidding is is not something you want to do if if you've gotten your margin at its at its rock bottom, which you know kind of kind of reminds me of a question I didn't ask when you were talking about the pricing side of it. Um, you know, I I have heard of people who they go in they negotiate a really good rate with GSA, and then somebody wants to buy from them and wants to negotiate the price even further. Is is that pretty common in what you see with with government contracting? Um, this, I'm really glad you brought that up, Michael, because it is something that I try, I try to fit into every time I'm talking about GSA contracts pricing, uh, because there's a very common misconception that the GSA is entitled to the best price you ever have offered anybody. Uh, and that's just not true. Uh, I'm not going to go into the full breakdown of how pricing is, is, uh, managed in that. Cause that's a it's pretty complicated and long, long winded conversation there, but uh, it's it's not true. Your your final prices to the GSA are usually somewhere between where you want them to be and uh, some somewhere where the GSA feels it's a reasonable price based on your your competition, uh, which is you know your competition. They're also you know have pretty profitable prices posted. Now to answer your question, uh, once your GSA contract pricing is negotiated, uh, it's pretty much set in stone. Uh, you are uh, not allowed to sell above that price to, to the government through GSA uh, because you've, you've basically told the government that you wouldn't. Uh, that's what that's the whole purpose of this GSA contract. Uh, but you can always discount further if you want to be more competitive. But you're not obligated to. If a, a buyer approaches you and says, you know, we we want to go with you. We like we like your your uh, whatever. We like your company, we like your solution or whatnot, uh, but we need you to have this better price. Uh, that's something they can do, uh, but you're not obligated to, you know, say yes. Hmm. You can you can counter. You you have it, it almost turns into a uh, commercial transaction at that point. You can counter. You can say no. You can say yes. Yeah. If you say yes to go in lower and you consistently do that, does that automatically set you up when your GSA schedule gets reviewed for them for GSA to go, hold up, you know, you, you gave us this price when you got your contract, but you're selling at 15, 20 percent lower than what we've locked in here. You're going to have to drop your rate down to that now. I mean, does, does that does it set you up for that if if you consistently say yes to dropping the price? No, no, not at all. Okay, cool. Well, I again, I, I think those are some common misconceptions that people have. Of they hear that and think, well, I'm going to have to do this. So, so let me let me ask the question though, because I think somebody's listening, and going, oh well, no. Well, how do I mitigate that? You know, if we go through a review or or something with GSA, and they say, well, clearly 
you've been given a 20% off here, uh, you know, above the discount we've got. How, how do I respond to the GSA and keep my pricing instead of getting knocked down by GSA and then having to, of course, go through the awkward negotiations again with the clients? How, how do you stop the GSA from, from, from taking more at, at some point? I normally handle uh, negotiations on a case-by-case basis. I'm always very involved. I sit in on the negotiation call. I work to uh, educate and prepare my clients for that call. And in those cases where the GSA is really asking way, way more for way more of a discount than they ought to be, uh, I try to kind of take a step back with them and, and say, you know, what are you basing that number on? And, you know, they've done their research. Uh, my clients, you know, usually I've done some research just to try to see what the GSAs, you know, try to estimate what they're going to come at us with. And my customers always have a good understanding of where their margins are and what they can do. Uh, and then between all of that, oftentimes when the GSA says, you know, we need, you're only offering 5%, we need 20% or we're walking away. Uh, oftentimes what happened there is the GSA was comparing apples to oranges. They did their, all their research on oranges and my client's offering up apples. Um, so I try to walk them back and say, well, let's take a look at your research and uh, make sure that it's actually a, you know, a true competitor and, and not somebody that's kind of on the outside or other side of that niche. Um, so oftentimes that's the way I'll do it. If a good contracting officer at the GSA will kind of admit their mistake if there is one or tr- work with us to adjust their competitive research um, and then, you know, there's always kind of those contracting officers that dig in deeper and they're just going to kind of die on that hill. Yeah. And, uh, and that's always a bad thing, but you know, you just roll with the punches there. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, I, I would say as a, a fundamental business practice, anytime a company wants to discount to get the deal, I would change the scope of the deal uh, so that it, it it is apples versus oranges, you know? So if, if they're saying, Hey, well, we want a 10% discount on this. How can you change the scope of this thing they're asking for? So that if GSA comes back and says, well, you've been given 20% off, you can say, well, you know, on our schedule, it's an apple, but what we actually did to give them the discount was an orange. You know, we, we reduced the quantity. We were, we reduced our delivery time. we, we change something about the features or benefits of the product so that it is not an apples to apples match to your GSA so that if you do have that, that challenge, uh, you can deal with it. And it's just good business practice. You know, if somebody's going to ask for something, you know, what are you going to ask for? Uh, I, I think that's just smart business for people to do. But I think a lot of people don't even think that. They just go in and give the discount to, to kind of get the win. So, so one more thing I want to uh, come in and ask you about before we talk about your services a little bit more. Um, I'm going through the GSA process. Are there any common delays or challenges that you see companies running into with getting their schedule? Because, you know, I, I just actually uh, there was a friend of ours that went and got a schedule. It took them just over a year to fill out the paperwork and get it submitted and i kept saying why why haven't you done this yet why haven't you done this yet and and the the thing was well you know we didn't have time or they asked for this document and then 
we just, you know, we had something else going on. So it took us 30 days, <laughs> you know, I took them, you know, like a, just over a year to fill out the paperwork. So I'm just curious from, from your perspective, what are some of the common delays or challenges you run into with getting these packets ready for submission? From my perspective, the delays are either client side or government side. And on the client side, uh, it really is just if the time's wrong and they still pull the trigger, uh, you know, if, if their bandwidth is just not there, it, it takes, I'd say, a good four to eight hours to, to pull everything together just to get to just to get me what I need so I could do the heavy lifting. Uh, so if a, a company doesn't have that, that bandwidth, they're so busy right now, or the person tasked with this project is so busy, uh, then, you know, that can cause some pretty significant delays. And uh, all I can do is uh, try to make it as, as just bare bone rock bottom simple for them as possible and that's what i try to do uh but even so it still does take time to gather those documents internally and and do the couple of other uh other things that the, that are required um so there is that and then the government side i mentioned uh it's the government uh, you can't uh, you can't look at them through the same lens as you look at with a company companies are typically a lot more agile. They have the opportunity to just pivot or stop what they're doing and focus on something if they want to. Whereas the government, everything's uh, very, very static. Everything's in place and protocol driven. Uh, and then at the same time, we have uh, just the uh, just the fact that, you know, oftentimes the, the GSA is uh, limited by uh, labor issues. They have... Uh, Every once in a while, it'll get to a point, where, a sweet spot where it's it's just like, wow, this department it is is just perfect right now. Every person there that I deal with is on the ball. They know their stuff, and then you know, give it a couple of years, retirements, shift shifting people around. Uh, wow, this department's gone downhill really fast. Uh, everybody there's new, and they don't know anything, and they think they do. Uh, the the right hand of the department doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So on the government side, it's it's just as you'd expect, like kind of just navigating politics. Um, so uh, and that's something that I've uh, become you know pretty good at as far as the way the GSA works. Um, and what has helped out tremendously, uh, you know, in my situation is I about a year or two ago I partnered with. Uh, a woman, Joanne Stanley, who worked at the GSA for 29 years. And uh, I'm able to kind of pull her into, you know, we're able to have a conversation about the specifics of a certain problem. And uh, she knows those politics really well because she lived them for a very long time. Yeah, no, I think that's critical right there. You know, having somebody who understands the politics because, you know, let's just be honest. Government is all about politics. That's uh, that's just the way it is. People are, are jockeying for positions or for little victories uh, in their daily jobs or in their career paths. And so we, we there's nothing wrong with it. We just have to be aware of it. I think that's that's a big factor there. So I, I yeah. don't I don't want to get off here without having you tell our listeners a little bit more about the services you provide. If you want to give some numbers or ranges or anything like that, that's totally cool. But um, clearly you're very knowledgeable about the process. Uh, but if, if folks want to to hire your company, uh, give, give them a, a little uh, idea of, of what that looks like. Over the past 10 years, I've pulled together uh, what I think are just about the best uh, kind of group of streamlined processes that are there are as they relate to 
building a GSA contract. And uh, what I ask myself every time I'm about to try to improve that is, you know, is this going to make the lives of my clients easier? Uh, I try to make the uh, kind of the onboarding and the handling of this entire uh, kind of complex process of getting a GSA contract into something that's uh, very simple on the front end for the client to manage and all the complexities are on my end. What I, The way that I pretty much do that is just, uh, of course, leveraging experience. You don't do something for 10 years plus and, and not know uh, a good deal about it. So uh, every offer that I work on uh, it goes through me. Uh, it's not a case where, you know, I'm the, I'm the president and founder and, uh, you know, I'll talk to you up front here. Uh, and sell you on the contract, but you know, here's Fred. He just graduated college, and he's going to help you from here on out. Um, that's uh, you know not not the way I, I run things. It's uh, something where I have a very close knit, uh, efficient team. Uh, everybody knows what they do inside and out, and uh, that's just the way we operate. So um, I, I like to tell my my generation story uh, or my genesis. Uh, I'm a fourth generation small business owner. Uh, I, as far as I can trace back, uh, my family's just run small businesses. It's just what we've always done. Uh, I was working for my uh, stepdad's company in the security industry, and my first you know, task was to get a GSA contract for them. As I started looking for providers, I mean, first thing I did was you know, I, I realized I don't want to do this myself. I started looking for providers, and I saw at the time that everybody was charging 10, 15, 20 grand to basically do a, a glorified version of handholding. Uh, I didn't think that was a, a worth it, and we surely didn't have the budget for that, just like most small businesses don't. Uh, so I completed the process myself the first time. Uh, it wasn't pretty, but it happened. Uh, it got awarded. And uh, from there, I uh, just kind of decided I'm going to kind of branch out. Uh, I wanted to set up a, a company that was there to uh, help small businesses get into the GSA contract program because I felt like it was kind of exclusionary and prohibitive for them at that time. Uh, I wanted the, to be affordable and comprehensive. Um, so I uh, pulled everything together and, and branched out. That was 10 years ago. And uh and that's kind of what led me to, to where I am now. Yeah, and you have, I think I saw on your website, like 200 plus uh, contracts have been awarded through you guys now. Is, is that right? Yeah, we, well, uh, I have 200 plus clients. Right, uh, right. About half of them are, are ones where I've secured the contract for them. The other half uh, found me after the fact, and I helped them maintain it. Okay, awesome. Well, that, that's really good. I mean, you know, even if it was just a hundred, that's a lot, you know, that's a lot of success right there. But having 200 clients that you're working on the GSA schedules, I mean, definitely shows your expertise in this area. So, uh, I really appreciate you coming on today and talking GSA contracts. I think there's a lot of little nuggets for people, uh, whether you are just getting into it or, you know, and this is something we really didn't talk a whole lot about. If you're not having success or having some challenges with your GSA contract, uh, it's a whole different topic. We didn't talk about today pick up the phone, call Joshua, talk to him about what challenges you're having, see if he can help you out with the, the maintenance of it or whatever it may be. I think that's a really good uh, a really good service that a lot of people should take advantage of. So again, thank you so much for the wisdom today. I really appreciate you coming on and talking GSA with us. Yeah, my pleasure, Michael. And I'll just throw out my website. It's uh, www.gsafocus.com. 
all one word. Uh, you could reach me at 866-916-6484. Uh, you could just ask for Josh. And uh, very active on LinkedIn and all that, too. So uh, you could search out Josh Laddick on LinkedIn, and I, I'm probably only the only the only one on there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's a great way to connect. That's how we connected, and uh, you know, seeing all the content that you put out there. So, so thanks again. Uh, and I also want to take a minute to thank our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers, where you don't have to write all this information down that Josh just gave you. We will actually have uh, his website, LinkedIn profile, and contact information right there on the website uh, for you to go to. Um, And last but not least, I want to uh, thank our sponsor, Sponsor and have you visit them, the Federal Access Program. You can go to rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how to win government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash game changers.